and welcome to the Long Road Podcast. The journey goes ever on with the Long Road. This week's episode, Breaking the Rules or Taking the Rules. So this week we hear from Steve Bonham about one of the songwriters he finds an inspiration, uh, Guy Clark, a chat that Steve and I had a few weeks ago about the uh, sort of creative process, uh, about the, the rhythm structure of music and the, the rhythm of words interplaying with music, uh, and uh, a couple of snippets from our musical back catalogue for you to enjoy. The Long Road podcast is exploring the world of the vagabond, the troubadour, the adventurer. The world isn't beige, it isn't processed, it's authentic, it's rich, and it's real. And if those are the sort of sentiments that make your brain light up, then hop on board. We're embracing all of those things, celebrating all of that. Uh, And we'd love it if you joined us on the journey. Greetings, I'm Chris the Bish Leiden. It's great to have you on board again this week. Now, we've reached a bit of a landmark for the long road this week. We've reached the um, the 30,000 streams milestone for one of our songs on Spotify. Uh, wrapped up on you on Spotify is over 30,000 now, which is just amazing. Um, along with Interstate 25 and American Wilderness, they're at uh, over 10,000 each. So the um, American Wilderness EP that we launched back in October were at over 50,000 plays on Spotify. It's just amazing. Thank you to everyone who's listened and, and shared. Please keep listening, keep on sharing. Uh, if you like what you hear, why not purchase the EP from uh, iTunes or Apple Music or whoever, whoever you get your music from. Uh, and now for some news hot off the press, we can announce from The Long Road a double premiere. Join us for a night of music and story, our new part show, part gig, How to Be a Vagabond, alongside the launch of our Moonshine Elegy EP. Uh, there are two nights confirmed so far, um, London on Tuesday the 14th of April 2020, uh, and then in Derby, our hometown, on Friday the 17th of April 2020. Uh, tickets are £7.50 each, and they'll be on sale next week from artisancreative.com. How to Be a Vagabond begins with Steve Bonham, the vagabond philosopher, marooned in the middle of the Appalachian forests and mountains of the southern states of America. He's staggered out of the woods into a one-horse town called Reliance after eight days of trekking and getting lost. Avoiding bad-tempered bears, rattlesnakes and some of the locals, dehydrated and trail-weary, he's trying to find a way out. He reflects on the issues that lead him to ramble, the pull of the road, the nature of freedom and what he sees as the awkward knot of individual existence. Along with the uh, local barman slash piano wrangler, he weaves a performance of stories and songs that will entrance, amuse and provoke. You may never look at yourself the same way again. Uh, Now, just to be clear, I am the local piano wrangler in this instance. So, exciting stuff, uh, and we're looking forward to sharing that all with you. Um, So, get on to artisan-creative.com next week to get your tickets. First up this week, Steve Bonham takes a moment during his travels to tell us about one of his inspirations in the world of songwriting, music and performance, um, Guy Clark. Steve's missive comes from Hong Kong Airport, hence the, the background noise and the somewhat hushed tones, almost reverential, like a person confessing their sins, perhaps appropriately to me, the bishop, um, although I'm fairly sure most people don't start their confession with, greetings, bishop, uh, but then I'm fairly sure the long road would be branded sinners, whatever, so to hell with the rules. Anyway, over to Steve. Greetings, Bishop, from uh, Hong Kong Airport, where I'm on a seven-hour wait for a flight, surrounded by what looks like a very large surgical team. Everyone is wearing masks and 
kind of glaring at me, but I wouldn't want to talk to you through my handkerchief, so here I am. Um, actually, whilst I've been away, I've been reading a book uh, about a, a songwriter who I really admire. Um, there's a standard interview question which you often get. Standard interview question number seven. Who influenced your music? Who do you listen to? Somehow I am never prepared for this question. I tend to gabble out a bunch of names like Dylan, Peter Green, Ralph McTell, Towns Van Sant, Leonard Cohen, etc. I always feel it's not a very inspired list and not particularly authentic. Just an answer so we can move on. Particular artists, genres, labels just don't work for me like that. I've never been able to write a song in a particular style or form though I'm sure the rich soup of folk, country, blues, Americana has wound its way into my brain somehow. My songs well up from experiences, conversations that I have. They are the gift to me, anyway, of the road, and they make their own way out into the world, dressing themselves in melody, style and instrumentation. But as I get older, there is one songwriter that increasingly means a lot to me someone I can use as a reference point for what a great lyric and a great song might actually sound and look like. This is Guy Clark, a Texan born in 1941 and who died in Nashville in 2016. He's not so well known amongst the general listening public over here in the UK and I suspect not that well known even in the US, except to those who follow the writers of country and Americana songs labels he would probably be irritated by. Yet he wrote some of the finest songs in English of the 20th and early 21st century, particularly his lyrics. As a writer, I love lyrics. Lyrics are the spells carried on the wings of a melody. Guy Clark's lyrics are beautifully wrought, elegant in their simplicity, resonant, deeply conceived. When people talk of his work, they often use the cliche he was a craftsman because he also made guitars and many other instruments. He was a craftsman in the way that the great sword makers of the Dark Ages or the beautiful pottery makers of the Zuni Pueblo or the Greeks building temples. He would take days, weeks, months to get things right, looking for the particular word, looking for the particular phrase that captured everything he was trying to say. This is a craftsmanship that's not merely functional, about knowing when to cut and trim and discard, or how to shape and fire, but a craftsmanship based upon a deep relationship with the raw materials. In this case, the raw materials of a great song, the words, the rhythm, the notes, the memories, the emotions, the insight and the empathy. It's a hands-on relationship with the raw materials that are pulled from the earth. And Guy Clark had that deep, mysterious relationship with the stuff that makes great songs that just blows my mind. In particular, it's how he uses meaning and moment to cut something that cuts through the chatter and clutter in our heads straight to our hearts and brains. One of his last songs, my favourite picture of you captures it all. My favourite picture of you is bent and faded and it's pinned to the wall. You are so angry, it's hard to believe we were lovers at all. A fire in your eyes, 
your heart on your sleeve, a curse on your lips, when all I can see is beautiful. song my favorite picture of you that steve um was referencing as one of his favorites from guy um we'll be bringing you some more insights inspirations from the long road in the coming months from kev the big man more uh from me and from steve This week's The Long Road Revealed is on the rather nebulous topic of the creative process. I mean, even the term itself can cause rankle amongst audiences and artists alike. But I think anyone who is creating anything, ultimately, they've they've got a creative process, whether it's consistent or not, or conscious or not, or even good or not. It doesn't really matter, I don't think, Um, each to their own. Uh, But I think... Ultimately, creative people, they do have a process. Um, this conversation uh, you're going to hear is uh, was recorded almost by accident one day when Steve and me were working on rehearsals and preparing for How to Be a Vagabond. Uh, and we got into a discussion after after lunch. We were sat around Steve's dinner table. Uh, and I quickly decided to record it onto my iPhone as, you know, sometimes you never know. For me, there's some fascinating thoughts to be had on poetry and music and perhaps poetry is music and perhaps music is poetry Uh, that's a bigger topic of discussion i think um the idea of repeating a line in music it gives you a chance to hear it again the power of repeating words it can be akin to repeating a musical phrase um if you think back to spoken word pieces that repeat lines often to great effect and the I suppose the challenge to the performer about what the intention is with the repetition and the nuance required for the um, the, the second telling. Uh, a different approach? A subtly different approach? An exact repeat? It's hard to know. Uh, and this all feeds into the idea that me and Steve were talking about rhythms above rhythms, words playing with the music, the rhythm of the words going against the rhythm of the music, and the sort of transitions between, linking back to what Steve was saying about Guy Clark earlier. You know, sometimes taking days, weeks, months to get things right lyrically or musically, finding the correct rhythm, um, finding a particular phrase or turn of words to get everything in that you want to get in, um, having that deep relationship with the material. Rhythm is music, probably, as otherwise perhaps it's just sounds, but then any sound at any time could be perceived to have a rhythm, even if it's not one of a, a short enough time frame to be noticeable. I mean... I'm sure John Cage would have argued that his piece that's currently being performed in Halberstadt in Germany, uh, it's a piece called As Slow As Possible on the organ, um, 
which apparently is scheduled to last for 639 years, I'm sure John Cage would argue that piece has rhythm. It just so happens that the rhythmic time frame um, isn't based in bars and beats necessarily, but it's in months and years. Um, apparently the next note change is due in September 2020, so watch out for that, and that's just under seven years since the previous note change. Yeehaw. I mean, I don't know the musical content of the piece at all, but I wonder how much repetition's in it. One of the things that Steve and I have always been very conscious of is repetition, um, and its effects, good and bad. The repeating of a musical line to have a poetic effect, this is what I'm saying, and please hear it again. This is why the fundamental musical forms developed and they persist. You know, the ABA, the human beings love to be presented with a pattern and for it to be repeated, predictable, but also we love to have those predictions dashed. We love it. Um, one of my favourite examples in classical music are structures and rules being obeyed but also being smashed to smithereens for the time, um, is from Beethoven, uh, who gets a little nod in the chat that me and Steve had. Um, perhaps Beethoven's most famous work, his Fifth Symphony, from the start of the 1800s, um, with the famous fate knocking at the door, four-note riff. Yes, I call it a riff. Okay, then, a motif, whatever. Um, the the symphony starts in C minor, very memorably. Um, by the time we get to the fourth movement, though, we're in C major, uh, Beethoven is going to ram C major down our throats for the next 10 or 15 minutes um, back then it was not the done thing to start a symphony in one key especially a minor key and finish it in another but then Beethoven does something even more startling again for the time in the middle of his fourth movement which is in four beats in a bar he briefly returns to his third movement material which is in three beats in a bar for this glorious crescendo before the recapitulation of the fourth movement material Beethoven knew exactly what he was doing, the reaction he was hoping to garner from audiences at the time, um, and perhaps his peers at the time. Outrageous, rebellious, beautiful, uh, heartbreaking almost. But it's all got a purpose, it's telling the story. I mean, Beethoven was only at the start of his sort of storytelling journeys at this point, uh, and he goes on to further the form, laying the groundwork for romantics to really push into creating pictures and stories in music, freeing themselves from the rules and the structures of the classical period. Um, sorry, slight sidestep in history there. Um, these days there are some composers who say they exist only for the exposition and the development. Um, some ban themselves from ever recapitulating. Um, they're constantly generating new material or developing what they've already presented. Um, no recap at all. Um, anyway, Here's me and Steve discussing the creative process. I uh, will see you on the other side. When you're a non-musician, you start writing. Basically, you stick in the genre of those yeah, are yeah. the four chords and, and yeah, the yeah, songs. This is what I. Yeah, and actually, I've I've grown to appreciate the discipline of people who do that. So, yeah. like the country guys, I mean, only ever three or four chords, yeah. and it's the sounds quite like everything else but actually that's part of the charm of part, it and that's part of this part of the sort of challenge of it is yeah. how do i make those same four chords because on some instruments you can't play much more yeah you know as we're discovering with the banjo you can't necessarily play much more than that or yeah unless you're on <laughs> deep deep drug <laughs> yeah. therapy or slide slide guitars where you literally can't it's really hard you, you can't make things work other than certain things yeah how do you make that interesting and fresh um all the time it's I think that's where my little bit of little bit of music knowledge 
helps me now because I'm very aware of patterns. So on one hand, say I'm I'm aware if I've got, I've got I'm using those four chords, mm. and I'll often write most of a song like that, or six or seven chords, and then I'll deconstruct the song. Yes, and say I'm going to make that different. I'm going yeah. to do that different, and that that is that's the bit I've learned how to do. That's the kind of I love that, and I love that bit, that process. So you might think, well, I've just repeated that phrase twice. Um, the trick is, often you'll do a third, third yeah, yeah. bit, and then you'll go back and repeat the first pattern. Yeah. But I've done that now. I don't, don't want to do that. So I'll try and change it. And also things like saying, like on London Midnight, where I actually put the chorus in the middle of two different verses. Mm. You know, just being once you says awareness. But the other, but the other. The, the other side of it, though, is I think it happens with really well-trained musicians who really know what they're doing, unlike me, which I haven't bloody clue, is to kind of strain. What happens is they say it's got to sound different. Um, and that sort of brackets, open brackets, must be weird, close brackets. Yes. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, and a lot of music by what I regard as highly competent, trained, deeply understanding people just leads to quite weird things. Which, yeah. yeah, okay, it works, but it's it would it's for a different sort of audience. That I think that's for an audience of people who are like minded who want to get into. Oh, you've done that. That's clever. Whereas to me, I'm just it's, it's a, bit, about, a bit more sort of human, a bit more yeah. Like connection. it's like I'm a I'm on the common folk, and therefore mm. people have got to still get why you've done that. Yeah. Not think oh, that's just very weird. So. Yeah. I think yeah. that's, the, that's the, the danger that I find sometimes is, right, I've got to, setting myself the challenge of thinking, right, this has to be different or I can't do something that we've done before or that no. other people have before. Got, it's got to be different. But if you go too far from... It's very, there's, a, there's a narrow band where that works. If you, go, <laughs> if you stray too far from it, it will sound too weird yeah. or it doesn't fit in your... The sort of... The, the ballpark of things that you're already... That, that we're already working in. Yeah. And, I, and I think if you stray too far too suddenly, it, it can be very jarring to people and to ourselves. Yeah. What's this one? How does this fit into a set? How does this fit onto a, a yeah. record? It doesn't, and the it doesn't weird thing quite. is, of course, when, if you go and do something really, really out there, most people's brains are still trying to do what everyone else... Their, their musical thought that you're listening to is, why haven't you gone there? Oh, and, and actually it's not necessarily... Mm. A great experience for them. It's, it, but it is. It's that band, isn't it, between breaking the rule and uh, and uh, taking the rule. Yeah. You know, it's it's quite it's quite. But there difficult. are some. But then there are some things that that it just works so well to follow the you know the rules. It's not the, yeah. the rules that don't exist. Like Beethoven felt he was suffering under the rules of Bach and decided to you know yeah. shake things up. Um, Bach invented the rules, as far as we could all see. So I don't know what you know where he came from, but the rules that we, you know, in popular music these days, what rules do we have? Yeah. It's such a the the journey has been so muddied and coloured by different things over the years that actually the rules yeah. can be whatever you like. Yeah. But also there are sometimes when actually just repeating a phrase twice is the perfect thing it, to do. It, it is. And or the thing that you always say to me is, play that again. Yeah. Because I'm always trying to do something different. And you, you, you've always said to that, whatever you did there, that happened, needs to happen three times. I tell you exactly exa- the same thing three times. I tell you exactly where that comes from. Um, I've heard two poets do it. And uh, when they're reading their own work, and they got to a line that they like, quite often they'll not, they won't say what's on the page, they'll say the line again. Mm. 
because it gives you a chance to hear it. Yes. You know, if you think about it, a song is just it's all this information coming at you. And if there is something rather lovely in it, you want to say, oh, that's nice. And oh, I heard it again. Yeah. And then you can move on yeah. just to confirm where you were. Yeah. I think that makes a huge... You, the, other, the other kind of good... And I guess this is my thing. You know, people comment sometimes on how many words there are in my songs. But to me, that's about... You yourself comment on how many yeah, words there yeah, are I've got a bloody singer. <laughs> yeah. but, but, you know, by using words, you are actually creating a, a, a rhythm above the rhythm. Yeah. And I love I loved doing that. And so you can put... You can put the innovation and creativity um, in creating different rhythms from the words, mm-hmm. which is why I've got this thing about three multi-syllable words, yeah. particularly three I like, you know, yeah. like vagabond, you know, it's, it's, it's got a beat in it straight away, yes. uh, which, you know, Trump doesn't, yes. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so, yeah, yeah, Cadillac, right. yeah, yeah, all those words, just keep giving you that little rhythm, and that can, I don't think much separation between the words and the music, it's not like two things, yeah. not in my head anyway, because uh, yeah, I'm, I want to tell a story, but I think it's also uh, I'm adding another another rhythm part. Yeah. At the same time, and that's why somebody, you know, that's where I I got in to get rap and stuff like that. Yeah. T- to start hearing it as another rhythm line, yeah. a tuned rhythm line. Yeah. Uh, kind of was a bit of a half for me because obviously culturally I I have no background in that at all, but. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, I am. I am now known to mutter, as yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. in songs. I think I mutter to the rhythm. Yeah, quite, quite well, that intertwining of the the rhythm of the words and the rhythm of the music, and actually, there are those two yeah. layers to that. That I think often they are the same thing. You know, I listen to a lot of big, you know, big popular music these days, mm. and actually, they're almost the same. The rhythm of the music and the rhythm of the words are. Yeah. There's nothing interesting between the no, that's it. It's between the um, the words for our songs. They they swing in and out of being in in rhythm and on top of. Yeah. And it gives it that interesting. Gives it friction and yeah. resolution all the way through. That actually it makes. I think that's what one of the things that makes them. Well, I think makes them interesting to listen to. It's not just the fact you've got some nice words in there. It's the it's the rhythmic yeah. properties of those words. Um, and also the fact that they often paint stories like within the first line of Riding on the Road, you know exactly where you are in the world. Yeah, yeah. You know exactly what you know what sort of people are in this story. Yeah. And um, I think that is a it's an art that they, yeah they're telling a story, but it's not necessarily a an interestingly told story. It might be an interesting story, but it's interestingly told. That's yeah. I think I think that a major minor. The writer Jason Webster once said, you know, the, the great trick of lyrics is, is to find the, what's his words? Find the universal in a particular. Mm, yeah. And, uh, you know, that's really hard to do, you know. Yeah. You think it's exactly that. So you can say something that's very particular and very different, but people immediately kind of connect yeah. with it because it's yeah. something that they've ex- thought about, experienced, dreamt of were frightened of, whatever, yeah. you know, immediately means something to them. Um, and, yeah, lots of, lots of songs are trying to do that. It's hard work, but, you know, you try and do something, you know. Well, one of the things that you, I remember you said, it must have been about Riding the Road, actually, that actually using the specific 
brand of car or a particular brand of yeah. uh, alcohol or whatever tells a much more visceral story than just saying, yeah. you know, me and my friend in our car driving across America. You know, that's a different... That's not... The interesting thing uh, about being able to... You know, the Studbacker. Studbacker 61, yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's really true, isn't it? If you think about it, a song, you put the word tree in a song, uh, it's tree. If you yeah. put the word pine, yeah. willow, yeah, oak, yeah, yeah. you've got three mm. different images. Mm. Yeah. And if you go a bit further and talk about Scots pine yeah. or white oak yeah. or weeping willow, again, you get even further down into a, a kind yeah. of a lock in a door in your own mind and soul about what's going on here you know so yeah i love that i mean some great writers have done that i mean that's one thing that to me chuck berry, chuck berry yeah, it's just great, yeah. you know doesn't no, nothing doesn't left o- to question there it's, you it's don't very, open the fridge you open the coolerator yeah, wow yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. and some of the yeah just some of the very specifics there it takes you it draws you straight in and the thing with the the sort of bigger picture stuff is the difference between in the process of writing and editing, I find it very hard sometimes just to go, right, you can, you've got to just put, put, you've just got to create now. Don't worry about assessing it or editing it. Just just make the stuff and yeah. then afterwards edit it. But I think you're much better at pumping the stuff out there yeah. and then think, okay, well, we need to restructure this now. We need to, I, mean, I need to use that line again because it's a good line. Oh, yeah. Um, it's, it's, and actually, I think it's the best way to do it because it's two different mindsets. Yeah. In a, to me, the up to starting to craft a song is this lovely collection phase. To me, yeah. you're just picking up stuff. So, you know, I, you know, as you know, I walk around with a notebook all the time. So I put phrases down of, or situations or something where, and I might that might just stay in the in a, in a treasure box for two or three years, and <laughs> yeah. then I suddenly think, oh, that might fit in here. That that memory yeah. or that, yeah. Um, that time or that phrase I remember years ago I had this kind of line where I just came the line just I don't know why taking souvenirs from the fields of gold I have no idea what that means mm. uh, but I thought that's a nice line fields of gold I think something to do with Henry VIII actually and I was writing a song about you know the uh, back the back stairs and back streets of London or something and that that line came to me anyway. But you know, you, you keep those bits and then you realise that time has arrived. Yes. <laughs> and I'm going to take this chance to play a few bits from our back catalogue. Just because we talked about them, here's a little bit from Riding the Road, which is from our Reliance album. And then just because I love it so, uh, a little bit from You Never Can Tell slash Set of the, um, the Chuck Berry cover that was also on Reliance. Enjoy. It was back at six to one That smells of oil and rust a bead of all convertible whose soul is made of rust. Rice Jenny and the lover, laughing as they're chasing trains. Guard his foot down hard, going up a hurricane. Headed down the lonesome way, the road that never ends. Cross the heart of America that the spirit comprehends. It's in the river and the Coffee, he's humming a Bob Dylan song. Country boy is bit 
canal where the rebel soul begins thinking if it all comes down it would not be a sin behind the car the blue stem grass is dancing in the haze bending to the this week's episode as ever thanks so much for listening to the long road podcast uh, remember to let us know what you think and share the podcast with your friends if you think they might be on the same wavelength um, please subscribe wherever you get your podcast from next week's episode will be out on friday the 13th of march 2020 oh i love a good friday the 13th um you may have noticed this week there was no bishop's daily bread um wasn't much baking news to report on this week it's been a busy week but hopefully that'll be back with you next week you can check out past episodes from the long road podcast uh, wherever you get your podcast from or on artisan-creative.com um, find us on social media steve bonham on facebook is our main social media channel so look us up there check out our youtube channel youtube.com slash steve bonham uh, we've got bunch of videos music videos on there and we put out some new content now and then so do check that out and subscribe if you want to sign up to the mailing list go to artisan creative artisan-creative.com uh, sign up for the mailing list it only comes out every quarter so it's no bombardment in your inbox um, but we'll keep you up to date with what's going on all of our music is on spotify and apple music so go and have a listen if you're keen why not have a purchase as well um our latest EP, released in October 2019, is out there to listen to, um, including National Indie Radio's Song of the Year last year, Wrapped Up in You, and the epic American Wilderness, and one of my 
favourites in State 25. Um, so, thank you once again, brave adventurers, vagabonds and explorers. Remember, the world isn't beige, it's authentic, it's rich and it's real. Embrace every last bit of it. Uh, until next time, the journey goes ever on with a long road. Bye for now. Thank you.